0: Well, this morning we're continuing with our summer sermon series in the Gospel of Mark, in which we are calling this entire sermon series, The Cross and the Crown. And Mark's gospel is divided into two parts. Part one focuses entirely on the crown. The subject is Jesus' authority, where where Mark is really asking the question, who is Jesus Christ? And he's telling these stories, uh, really demonstrating who Jesus is. So that's part one. And part two focuses on the cross, where we learn that Jesus came to suffer. He came to die. He came to rescue us through his suffering. And today we are looking at the pivot point in the entire gospel of Mark. We're moving from act one to act two. We are, in a sense, experiencing the first climax of the entire gospel account and we're looking today at mark 8 verse 27 through mark 9 verse 1 and so uh, what we are going to see in this text is that there's this situation where uh, jesus just asks his disciples hey who do you say i am and peter responds you are the christ and then jesus goes on to say what type what it means for him to be the christ that he came to suffer and peter pulls him aside and rebukes him And Jesus then says, get behind me, Satan. So there's something very important for us to understand from this text and what it means for Jesus to be the Christ. And so let's give our careful attention to the reading of God's word. This is beginning with 8, verse 27. You can follow along on the walls behind me or in your worship guide. And I'm reading from uh, the ESV translation. So let's hear God's word. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here today who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let me pray for us one more time. Father, we thank you for your word. And as we look at your word today, may your word be at work in our hearts. May your spirit be at work in our hearts where we are convicted, where we uh, are given understanding, where we uh, see how we need to confess and repent of our sin, that we would walk with you. But Father, as we with this prayer, I also pray that we would see your beauty and your love and your grace and how you have Called us to follow you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So last Sunday, something monumental happened the United States women's soccer team won their second championship. They brought home their second World Cup. And if you have been watching the news, if you've been attentive to social media, you've seen them going around talking about their, their experiences. They've been using their platform to raise awareness. And as I, over the past week, I've had a lot of conversations regarding this subject of equal pay. They are using their platform to, to, to raise awareness of the pay gap. How male athletes are paid more than female athletes. And so as I've had these conversations with people on social media or in in person, one particular person who was arguing for greater pay while admitting the pay gap, but was arguing for greater pay, and I'm forgetting who this individual was, but this person goes on to say that if you want to see these female athletes being paid more, this is what you need to do. You go home and these are some very easy, tangible items that you need to do today to see them receive greater pay. And say your favorite athlete is Julie Ertz, whose husband plays for the Philadelphia Eagles, just letting you know. And I know this as a Steelers fan, so that's pretty impressive, just right there. But so say your favorite fan, athlete is Julie Ertz, and so this is what you do, you go and you buy her jersey and you start wearing her jersey. Now she also plays for Chicago. Chicago. Not Philadelphia, because Philadelphia doesn't have a team, but plays for Chicago. So you start subscribing to their games over ESPN, or you go and like buy tickets when they're playing in D.C. or, or elsewhere, but you go and support the games that she's playing in. And he had more points, but you get the idea. That if this is something that you're, you really care about, there are things that you can't tangibly do. But let's easy, but let me ask the question, what's easier for us to do? Is it easier for us just to click share on Facebook, to click retweet on Twitter? Is that, is that easier for us or is it easier for us to evaluate our lives and consider how our lives contribute to the gap? What's easier for us to do? We all know the answer to that. But we would rather, and here's the thing, we would rather protest pro- protest brokenness in the world than confess our own brokenness in our own lives in the, in the world. And in truth, these two things aren't mutually exclusive, but what tends to happen that when we just protest the brokenness in the world, we actually do so in a way that ignores our own brokenness. But the reality is that when we can actually come to terms and confess our own brokenness in our own lives, We are eventually going to be protesting the brokenness in the world at the same time. And so today, as we look at this text, the the idea that's central to following Jesus is the confessing and renouncing ways of our own self-centeredness. That's something we don't want to do. But yet, as Jesus talks about this, he uses very strong language. He uses, in fact, harsh language where we are to deny ourselves. We are to pick up our cross. In other words, we're to die and follow him. And when we do this, we are going to discover who we truly are. That's what Jesus is promising here. So if you want the big idea for today, that as as we look at this passage, Jesus invites you to discover your true self. And so as we're going to follow him, we're following Jesus where we discover who we truly are, but that's but if we're going to do that, we need to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow Him. So let's consider this text. But I, and I have an outline for us this morning, and it's two points. The first point is confessing Christ. The second point is imitating Christ. Confessing Christ and imitating Christ. And the first point, confessing Christ, we see in verses 27 through 29. Well, this is where Jesus is walking with His disciples. He is going to the city of Caesarea Philippi. And thus far we've seen in Mark's Gospel uh, the, really the, the question, who is Jesus? And Jesus puts that question clear as day to us. He puts that question to the disciples. And we've seen Jesus do some pretty marvelous things over the past few weeks. We've seen Jesus heal a cripple. We've seen Jesus control creation by telling the storm to stop, to be still, and to stop raging. We've seen Jesus bring a 12 year old girl back to life from the grave. We've seen Jesus heal a woman who was, was incurable from all the wisdom of the world. She had a, 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 a wound for 12 years. And so we've seen Jesus do some remarkable things. And the disciples have witnessed all these things firsthand. So Jesus asks them Hey, what are the rumors about me? Who do people say that I am? And so he's asking about the rumors. And so some answers are, hey, you're Elijah. So, and so the, the people understand that he is a significant person, just like Elijah. Others are saying he's John the Baptist. So, he's, so like there's, he's recognizing that there's confusion about who Jesus is. He's like, some people are saying that I'm my cousin? That's, that's what's going on there. But then at the same time, other people are saying that he's just another prophet. He's just a religious teacher. And so Jesus tur- turns the question in a more pointed, more personal direction. Who do you say I am? And that's when Peter says, you are the Christ. But what does this mean? You are the Christ. What does it mean for Jesus to be the Christ? Well, Christ is the Greek word for Messiah. Messiah is the Hebrew word for anointed one. And so throughout the scriptures, the Messiah, the anointed one, was the one who would restore God's rule in the entire world. The Messiah would be the one who would make all things right in the world. And so Peter here is right on the money. He understands who Jesus is. He understands that Jesus is the one that has been promised. He's been prophesied throughout all history. And Jesus is is that one who's come to make all things right. But then Jesus says, hey, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anyone who I am. And they continue to go on their their journey. And then the conversation uh, all of a sudden goes dark. Jesus starts telling them, like, he needs to suffer. He's going to go to Jerusalem. He's going to be rejected by all the religious leaders of Israel. He's going to be rejected. And in fact, those religious leaders are going to kill Jesus. And so Peter comes up to Jesus. Because Mark tells us quite clearly, Jesus told them plainly. Like, the point is, Jesus told all his disciples everything that was about to happen. And Peter actually understands this. And so Peter takes Jesus aside and says, hey, Jesus, you're not going to go to Jerusalem to die. You're going to go to Jerusalem and sit on the throne. You're going to let go and remove Herod from power. You don't remove Pilate from power. You're going to go to Jerusalem and restore Israel to its glory and so forth and so on. And at that point, Jesus rebukes Peter. And the Greek word there for rebuke is, is very powerful. It's the same word rebuke that Jesus has used to rebuke and cast out demons. So Jesus responds very quickly to Peter and he says, Peter, get behind, get behind me, Satan. Peter, your mind is not on things of heaven, but on things of man. What we see right here is that Peter actually, while he understands that Jesus is the Messiah, he actually misunderstands everything about the Messiah. He confesses Jesus to be the Christ, but he misunderstands what it means for Jesus to be the Christ. He thinks like, and and this is actually very understandable for Peter in his day. Because for Peter in his day, there were a lot of different messianic expectations. Everyone had their own opinion on what it would mean for Jesus to be Messiah. Or they would have their own opinion about the Messiah, period. Some people would say that the Messiah was coming to restore Israel to its military might and physical glory days. They would remove Herod and Pilate and basically end Roman occupation. Others said that the Messiah would just simply be a great religious teacher who would bring in great revival. But at the end of the day, no one ever thought that the Messiah would die. No one ever thought that the Messiah would suffer and at this point, like to, let's just, we, we need to acknowledge something. That today in our culture, there is a lot of misunderstanding about Jesus. There's a lot of misunderstanding about Jesus. Some say that Jesus is just a religious teacher. But the reality is that everyone, in a sense, wants Jesus to be on their side. Even the most unlikely sources. For example, Richard Dawkins. Richard Dawkins wrote the book, The God Delusion. He is an atheist, professor at Oxford, and he wrote this in The Guardian. He said that if Jesus was alive today and he would be smart enough to do this, that even Jesus would be an atheist. My simple point is that everyone wants Jesus to be on their side. But as they do that, as we do that, we actually misunderstand some very basic things, some um, important things about Jesus. And that's exactly the same type of dynamic that's going on here with Peter. He misunderstands what it means for Jesus to be the Christ. And so Jesus rebukes Peter and shows us that it's not enough to simply like Jesus. It's not enough for us simply to say, Jesus is an authority in my life. We, We need to understand that he came to suffer, that he came to rescue us. And in fact, in other words, that he is a king who is going to the cross. And he's going to the cross because we are sinners. We are rebels against God. We are uh, like, trapped and slaves to our sin. And Jesus was the one. He was the only one who could rescue us from our sin. And the way to do that was to go to the cross where he would die the death that we are meant to die. Jesus died the death that we are meant to die so that we would always live and have life with Him. And so this brings us to our next point. Because Jesus calls you that if you're going to be His follower, if you're going to confess Christ, then you must also imitate Him. So our second point is imitating Him. And I want to zoom in here on verse 34. And it's the second part of verse 34. That if anyone would come to me... If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. But what does that mean? What what is this verse getting at? What's Jesus talking about here? Well, for the disciples, up to this point, uh, this this passage is actually very provocative. Like for the disciples up to this point, there is not a single positive connotation with the cross. There's no positive connotation. connotations with the cross whatsoever because the cross is truly the most horrific horrible punishment reserved for lowliest and hated criminals. It was a public shame. Criminals, when they were sentenced, criminals were then forced to carry their cross through the entire city and as they were carrying the cross through the city, they were being mocked they were being spat upon they were being like just People were surrounding them crying, shame on you. Like, you're an evil person. Like, the the cross was designed for public humiliation. That if you would challenge Rome in any way, you're going to be publicly mocked and humiliated. And so, Jesus is saying that if you're going to follow me, you must deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. And so to the disciples, like this is provocative. They're hearing Jesus say that if you're going to follow me, you're going to be humiliated. You're going to be mocked. You're going to be cast aside and ashamed. And so that's how the disciples understood this call to literally and physically die. They had no positive connotations or associations with the cross. Because that they lived before Calvary. They lived before Jesus' death upon the cross. So we, on the other hand, have positive connotations with the cross. Because we know that Jesus went up to Calvary. He died upon the cross so that we would have life. And Paul uses this language in, in Corinthians. That in him, he was made to be sin. And so, so that we would become the righteousness of God. So, as we look at the cross, we see Jesus dying as our substitute so that we would have life with God. Jesus is, Jesus, in other words, Jesus is our substitute. He died so that we wouldn't die. We have that positive association and contact with the cross. The cross, in other words, is a symbol of hope because Jesus died for us. He sacrificed himself for us. Paul uses different language in Philippians, that in Philippians 2, he put our interests before his own. That he puts the Father's will before his own so that we would be rescued because we are sinners. We needed to be rescued, and the only one who could rescue us was Jesus. Let's understand something about sin. Because the story of of the first sin, of the original sin, goes like this. That in the beginning of Scripture, we see humanity. Humanity is made to see. We are made to know God in all His glory and beautiful intimacy. But yet, humanity betrayed that gift. Humanity disobeyed God. And so while humanity is originally entrusted with shalom, which is a glorious flourishing of wholeness, humanity, and this is represented by Adam and Eve, instead chose to hide from God by wearing masks of deception. They literally hid from God in the bushes and they made clothes out of leaves. The point is that in sin, as we, uh, in, in, one of the consequences of sin is that we hide. None of us are immune from sin or the, or the consequences of, of sin, and so our leaves, the ways that we hide, come in many shapes and, and forms. We put on masks. We 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 push God away. But our the reason why we wear masks, though that's a consequence of the fall, but the source of it is that we are we are insecure, and we are. We are idolaters, we are people that are proud, we are people that are confused, we are people that are angry, we are critical, we are abandoned, we wear masks all the time to push people away, to push God away because we are really alienated, we are disconnected from God. And so this is why Jesus came. To reconcile us to God so that not only would we be reconciled with God, so that, but also Jesus came so that we would not have to live in light of the consequences of sin. We would not have to wear masks. We would not have to pretend. And so Jesus, when he comes to this passage, when he has this conversation with his disciples, he says that if you're going to follow me, then you need to deny yourself. In other words, that if you're going to follow Jesus Christ then you need to name your masks, you need to name your false selves. You need to identify the ways that you hide from God and you need to go on to renounce those ways that you hide from God. But let me clarify something, because there are there have been a lot of um, misunderstandings surrounding this passage across the centuries, because some Christians have, have taken this passage in a very negative way in, in, in a more different direction than, than I, I'm, I'm going, but Jesus is not calling his disciples to physically punish their bodies for their sin, where you hurt yourself, like with a whip or starve yourself. That's that entire idea of asceticism is actually condemned by Paul in Colossians. And that's not what Jesus is talking about at all. Jesus is not calling us to punish our bodies for our sin. J- Jesus punished his own body for our sin so that we wouldn't. So there's something else going on here. But there's another misunderstanding that I simply want to hi- highlight, which is that the misunderstanding was that you would hear this call and think that Jesus is st- telling you to stop being yourself. In other words, that if you're going to be a Christian, that means you're going to lose your personality. Is so this idea of depersonalization, that's another misunderstanding. Like you that's you don't lose yourself, you don't lose everything that makes you you. That's not what's going on here in this passage. So what's going on? C. S. Lewis, always helpful. But C. S. Lewis says this: when God talks of they're losing themselves. He means only abandoning their clamor of self-will. Once they have done that, God really gives them back their personality and boasts that when they are holy and fully His, then, the, then they will be themselves more than ever before. The work of God in and through Christ to pursue us in love restores us to the wholeness and personhood. Salvation, among many other things, means restoration to the image of God. In other words, salvation means being restored to the person whom God has always meant you to be. And so when we understand Jesus' words this, this way, what is going on is Jesus is inviting you to follow him. Jesus is inviting you to be the person whom God has created you to be. Where you image God to the world in the unique way that only you can image him. Jesus is inviting you to stop pretending. Jesus is is telling you that if you're going to follow him, then stop pretending, stop wearing masks of insecurity. If you're going to follow me, you you need to know the the never-ending, never-stopping love of God that is yours because Jesus went to the cross and died for you. So in other words, as Jesus is calling us to deny ourselves, to pick up our cross, he's inviting us to cast aside all our sinful ways and discovering, rediscovering, Actually, discovering for the first time, not even rediscovering, but discovering whom we are meant to be in Christ. We are discovering who God has always meant us to be. That's the, what Jesus is calling us to do here. But what's that look like? What's that look like in our, in our lives? What, does, what could denying yourself and picking up your cross look like? Here's a few examples. And so two weeks ago, uh, we were on family vacation. And so as we're going on family vacation, we're, we're at the beach. And so when you're at the beach, uh, there's, a lot, you can do a lot of things. Yes, you can go to the beach and enjoy the beach. You can go to the pool and enjoy the pool. But you're at the beach, go on a boat, go wave running, go parasailing. But so as I'm doing all those things, Jennifer on the other hand is at the pool. And so, but why? why am I enjoying the wave running and enjoying a, a cocktail while Jennifer is enjoying water and the pool? Well, it's very specifically, well, she's not, well, she's watching Liam enabling me to do this, but she's also taking care of our uh, upcoming child. Like she's taking care. She's putting the interests of our son and our newborn ahead of others. And so that's just one example. Another example, um, uh, and is also like within marriage more specifically and this is something that's on the forefront of my mind as there's a a couple in our church who's getting married in three weeks and so i'm i've been thinking about ephesians 5 where we see that husbands are to lay down their lives for their wife in other words husbands die for your wife and wives live for your husbands there is this this Selflessness that must characterize marriage within God's design. And so the reality is that any parent knows that putting the interests of children before your own is hard. Every person within a marriage knows that putting another's interests before your own, putting their agenda before your own, putting their needs before your own, that's hard. That's challenging, but those are some pictures of what it looks like to pick up your cross and follow Jesus. And so while these two examples I just gave, one's of parenting and one is of marriage, they, they may not uh, apply directly to you, uh, given your life, but they, they illustrate the call to deny yourself in, in, and pick up your cross. But this call that Jesus gives us is universal to all of us. And it's a hard, challenging call. It's hard across the board. This is something we need to admit. But it also makes no sense to this world that we live in. Because this world that we live in says, hey, if you want to go do it, go do it. Who cares about the consequences? If you have these desires, give your, go pursue those desires. Why would you restrain yourself? That is something that our culture tells us over and over and over again. But here's one more example to, to illustrate this. And this is from the writer Sam Albury. And some of you have heard him speak. Some of you have read his books. But just to know, to know a few things about Sam. Sam is an a, a English minister. And he's, he's a Christian who experiences same-sex attraction. And so he's, as I said, he's a well-known author. And he shares this in an interview that he gives, that he gave. He says that if you're a Christian, at some point it's going to feel like following Jesus is killing you. But it's actually going. But he is actually going to be saving you. The more you say no to yourself in the way that Jesus teaches you to, teaches us to, you become more yourself. You don't cease to have a personality. The more you deny yourself, the more the real you you become. It, the you that God intended you to be. The you that you sense in your better moments. That you should be. The you that God bought up in the first place. See, this call is actually a call for us to be the the person whom God always created us to be. But there's still one more question remaining. Why do we do this? Why should we deny ourselves? Why should we pick up our cross and follow Jesus Christ? It has the fact that Jesus did this for us. Jesus denied himself so that we would have life with him. Jesus picked up his cross. He was mocked and he was reviled. He was spat upon so that we wouldn't be, but in fact that we would have life with God. But what Jesus is calling us to is that if we're going to follow him, he is inviting us to discover our true selves. But as we go about this journey, it's going to be hard. It's not going to make sense to anyone who doesn't know Jesus and the point is, is that we do this because Jesus has gone before us. He, is, he has done everything so that we would have life, life with God. He has reconciled us with him. And he has, in fact, reconciled us with one another. So that this is actually a journey that we go on with others who are also denying themselves, picking up the cross and following him. That's the wonderful beauty of of being in a church because we are all on this journey of life together. And it's a journey that we can encourage one another on as well. But this is something that we do because Jesus picked up his cross and died for us upon the cross for our sins. Let's pray.